Welcome to episode number 254. Today, we're going to be talking about non-food items that you should have on hand. Let me welcome you to the Pioneering Today podcast. I'm your host, Melissa K. Norris, founder of MelissaKNorris.com, the Pioneering Today Academy, and best-selling author of three books, including my newest book, The Family Garden Plan, How to Grow a Year's Worth of Sustainable and Healthy Food. Now, we've kind of been doing a little bit of a series. So if you missed where I was talking about your gardening plan, your COVID-19 gardening plan to grow your own food this year. That's episode number 250. And then we had episode number 252, which was COVID-19 food production plan and with planning for livestock. And then episode number 253 was 13 pantry items to always have on hand. So this is kind of like a part four. So if you want to go back and check out those episodes, you definitely want to if you haven't listened to them after listening to this one. And for convenience, all of the podcast episodes have a blog post that accompanies them with all of the links and it's written out for you. And you can snag that at melissaknorris.com forward slash 254. So just the numbers 254 because this is episode number 254. Okay, so let's dive into this list. Number one on the list of non-food items to have is fuel. Now, this is going to depend on uh, how much and what type is going to depend on some of the items that you have already at your house. Number one, most of us have a vehicle of some sort. So a good preparedness rule of thumb, like regardless of what's going on, is to have a half a tank's worth of gas in your vehicle at all times. So that means once you hit the half mark, instead of letting it go to empty, you just go back and you, you fill it up. And the reason for that is in an emergency type situation, if the gas stations were down or you couldn't get to them, if you have half a tank, you're going to be able to go quite a few few miles and drive quite a distance if needed. So that's one thing. The other thing that we want to make sure that we have fuel for on hand, and this is something that my husband and I did, is for your generator and or your farm equipment. So we already, we don't drive our tractor, (laughs) big surprise, uh, to the gas station to get gas. Uh, Same thing with our four-wheelers and our generators and or chainsaws. So if you've got anything like that, maybe you have a wood splitter that runs off of gas. If you've got any of those types of equipment on your farm or your homestead, you want to make sure that you've got backup fuel. So we always have some amount of fuel on hand. This could even be for your lawnmower. So usually in a real... um, I guess, emergence type situation, you might not be concerned about keeping parts of your lawn mode or not. But you want to make sure that you have got at least the bare minimum of fuel to run those things. And if you think that you may be going into a situation where you're not going to be able to go to gas stations or you're trying to limit the amount of trips you're taking anywhere, you want to make sure that you have enough fuel on hand for those items. We use the most on a daily, weekly basis is actually our four-wheeler. We use our four-wheeler here on the homestead. That's what I use to move our chicken tractor and chicken coop. 
Every couple of days, I'm moving the chicken coop around our pasture. It gives them fresh grass. Um, it's a great way to get extra fertilizer onto the field. They scratch up and eat the bugs. Um, and it also protects them from predators. Now, a lot of you asked me um, from a couple episodes back, um, that episode number 252 on how to plan for livestock, I asked if you wanted more information on raising chickens for meat at home, and I got back quite a few replies from you guys that you would love to have an episode like that. So I have that coming up. I'm going to be recording it very shortly. Um, so just know that that's on its way. But that's one of the things that we do with both our laying hens and meat chickens, both of the flocks, is I move them around our pasture. And because we have uh, quite a bit of them, I can't move the chicken tractor by hand, even though it has wheels on it. So I need to make sure that we've got enough fuel for the four-wheeler so that I can easily keep them moved around the pasture. We also use the four-wheeler when we are feeding hay right now in the in the springtime when we're not needing to feed as much as we do in wintertime. We don't feed an entire big round bale, which is when we need to use the tractor is to move those big round bales. But when we're just doing a small amount of hay, just as a little bit of supplemental, the pasture is not quite all there enough to feed all of the cattle. Then we just put it, we have a trailer that hooks onto the back of our four-wheeler. And so we're feeding hay with that. So that's why I say that for us right now, the thing that needs the most amount of fuel that we're using on a consistent basis is actually the four-wheeler. But you, we want to make sure that we've got enough fuel to run those other things if need be. Up next, and this kind of has to go along with that, those equipment type things, is any type of oil and or oil filters and maybe fuel filters, if that's something that you're needing to replace or you replace on a fairly routine basis, depending on what the equipment is. So ideally, if you're making sure that you have stuff on hand, we want to make sure that we have enough oil to do a full oil change, possibly too, especially if you can get it in bulk. I usually try to get a large amount um, hydraulic fluid as well, if we're talking about tractors <laughs> and, um, and different things like that. If you've got some of those bigger equipment, I buy that in bulk. But I like to make sure that we have got one extra filter, be it oil or fuel. So when we need to replace it, then we have it on hand and we can replace it. And then we've got one more beyond that just as in case as we're looking out into the future. So you may decide to stock extra on some of these or at least just have one on hand depending on what type of equipment you've got. But just a little bit of food for thought to think about that. Okay. Now we're going to be moving into kind of beyond the equipment side of the homestead, non-food items to have on hand, because I know not everybody has those type of things. So most of us do have a vehicle. And if you're changing your own oil, it will still apply to that. But now we're going to be talking about in the house, some of those body care items. So not food, though some of the oils that we're going to be talking about here in just a second will pull double duty and you'll have them in your food storage, but you'll want to make sure you have enough on hand to use to make some of your own products. So first up we're going to talk about is laundry soap. We're all going to be still washing our clothes, though. We may choose to let them get a little bit dirtier when we're not going anywhere. No judgment. <laughs> but you're going to want to make sure that you have enough laundry soap on hand. Now with that, homemade. So if you're making homemade laundry soap, if you have my book, The Made From Scratch Life, which was my first um, traditionally published book, 
then I have a recipe in there for homemade laundry detergent. So if that's the case and that's the way that you roll, you need to make sure that you have enough ingredients on hand to make that to at least do a couple of batches because it makes up quite a bit and it lasts quite a long time. But I always want to make sure that I never run my ingredients all the way out, that I always have them replenished before I run out of whatever it is that I'm using so that I always have the ingredients on hand to make it again. But I got to be honest with you guys, I ran out of my washing soda. (laughs) My mom actually called me up because she needed to make a batch and I had a box sitting there with it in it. And I went and picked it up to tell her, yeah, you can come and grab some. And know what? The box was pretty much empty. There was like two tablespoons at the bottom of it. But because I saw the box sitting there in my brain, I hadn't like actually put it on a list the last time I used it and said, oh, you need to replace this because it's almost empty. There's not enough in there to make another batch. But because it was sitting up there and I saw that box, I thought that there was more in there than there was. So it's kind of a good reminder. If it's not something that you can actually see through and see the level, you might want to pick up some of those containers just to make sure. So I don't technically have enough on hand to make my homemade laundry detergent. But in full disclosure, I don't always make homemade laundry detergent. The reason for that is sometimes we just get really busy and I have other brands that I can get of laundry detergent that don't have the phthalates and the synthetic fragrances and dyes and some of those uh, chemicals or items in there that I don't want to be using, I can get for a pretty good price some laundry detergent products that fit my bill of where I need them to be. So sometimes I make my homemade on that and sometimes I don't. Just But I did make sure that I had a complete large backup size of laundry detergent on hand. Now, talking about laundry, though, this one will do a lot more than just laundry, and I use it for more than that, is bleach. So for bleach, I don't use chlorine bleach. I know a lot of people feel very strongly one way or the other about that. So whenever I say have bleach on hand, I always get people making comments like, don't use chlorine bleach or don't use bleach. So the bleach that I use is hydrogen peroxide based, which is a great product. Um, I'm not worried about using it. Hydrogen peroxide is, is a great thing to use. So just to clarify there before you send me any, not necessarily hate mail, but before before you send me an email, it's not chlorine. And if you're using chlorine, hey, we all do what we feel we need to do. Okay. But you want to make sure that you have extra of that on hand, not just for laundry, though I do use it for that, but also I use it to disinfect, which you should be doing anytime you are pruning any of your fruit and berry bushes or any of your vegetable plants. Anytime you're using blades that are going on your plants, you want to disinfect it in between going from plant to plant because if they're happens to be any type of bacteria, fungal, and or disease, and we don't always see it. Sometimes the spores are just there, but it hasn't made itself evident or manifested in the plant yet. Um, And if you don't disinfect your pruning loppers, saws, etc., before using them and after using them and in between different plants, you can transfer and spread those diseases between the plants. And none of us want to do that. So I need to make sure that I always have bleach on hand so that I can disinfect them. But you don't want to overstock your bleach, especially the hydrogen peroxide based, because usually about six months and then it can start to lose its effectiveness and its strength will go down. So I usually keep about three bottles. I kind of know how much I'm going to use in a period of time. 
So that's not something that you really want to stockpile. And I don't buy super huge bottles. I just kind of get the regular standard bottle because same thing, once you open it and it's been exposed to air, then it's not going to last on the shelf even as long as an unopened bottle. So anyways, that is something though that I make sure that I definitely have on hand and is non-food related. Now, Vinegar, white vinegar specifically, is something that I use for cleaning. I don't use white vinegar for eating because I actually have a really hard time finding organic white vinegar. And I like to use my raw apple cider vinegar for most of our cooking. And I don't use my homemade apple cider vinegar for canning, but I do purchase organic apple cider vinegar for canning because unfortunately, most of our white vinegar, a lot of it is made from grains. Sometimes corn, but from typical GMO crops or highly likely GMO crops or crops that use pesticides. And I don't really want that in my food, which is why I don't stock it for my canning. However, when it comes to cleaning, I'm usually using it in a spray bottle. My hands aren't super coming in contact with it. So I feel a little bit different about using white vinegar for cleaning. But I like to make homemade all purpose vinegar cleaner and I use my citrus peels because those citrus oils helps to cut through grease and give it some more cleaning power. Now, I'm not going to make a claim that it's actually going to kill um, viruses or bacteria as well as using something like a bleach-based hydrogen peroxide because I don't have a way of measuring that in a lab. But I will use it to clean my windows and I use it to wipe down my counters and just kind of as an all-purpose cleaner. So I want to make sure that I have enough vinegar on hand to do that. Okay, up next, this is where I want to make sure that I have enough oils on hand to make our soaps and herbal salves and ointments and a lot of my different um, homemade bath and beauty products because the majority of those items that we use are homemade. So I've got to make sure that my stock is sufficiently stocked. Boy, that was like double stock there. Kind of sounded funny. Um, But anyways, that I've got enough on hand to make up those items. When we're talking about soap, now, if you want to learn how to make your own homemade soap, I have an awesome homemade beginner's guide to soap making, how to make your soap at home. And that is episode number 119. And you'll want to definitely give that a listen as well as visit that post because I share my one of my favorite homemade soap recipes on there. Now, it is a cold process soap, meaning it's going to be using lye. And go and listen to that, that episode because I kind of dive in there. You have to use lye to make soap. All soap, I don't care what kind, melt and pour. You cannot have soap without lye. Now you can buy a base, a melt and pour base where you're not working with the active lye, but also has lye in it. It's kind of like a a misconception that people get. And some of it is due to the wording that people will put on no lye soap. And that just means that the, the lye has already been worked into the base that they're buying, but somebody at some point had to use the lye or you do not have soap. Anyways, I'll get off my soap box. I know, sorry, that was a bad pun there. But you can go and check that one out. So I need to make sure that I have enough lye to make up at least a couple of batches of soap. That's number one for me checking. Up next, I need to make sure that I have enough of the oils on hand to make up not only my soaps, but I use the oils to make my herbal infused oils. That Again, that's turned into my lotion bars and a lot of my different homemade herbal salves 
and my homemade medicine cabinet, basically. So when it comes to those oils, one of the biggest oils that I use, especially for soap making and even salve making, is going to be olive oil. I've already got olive oil in my pantry for cooking, but I need to make sure that I have enough extra to cover my, obviously, soap and salve and cream making. The other one that you'll see a lot in different like lotion bars and some of your different melted down into some of the salves um, and even possibly in some of the soap recipes is going to be coconut oil. And again, that's one I keep in my pantry and I keep in my kitchen, but I need to make sure I'm accounting for the extra use of that in the bath and body care items, as well as the herbal medicine cabinet. And I don't use the coconut oil so much with the infused herbal oils, but I do use it in some of the bases to come up with the different salves and lotions and balms. Okay. So those are two of the oils that I typically will have already in the pantry, but they do double duty. But when we're talking about soap making, some other ones that you want to consider in our use is lard and tallow. So lard, I will use in my cooking as well. But the tallow and the lard I use mainly in my soap making and sometimes in candle making, which we'll talk about candle making in a minute. But I want to go get through the different oils here to consider having on hand or the ones that I make sure that I have on hand. So those definitely. Another is castor oil, jojoba oil and palm oil. Now, for soap making specifically is where the castor oil and the palm oil typically come into play. And that's because each of the different oils brings a different property to your final soap bar. And I go over that in that episode number 119 in the homemade soap, as well as inside. I have a a full course, actually, along with my book, Handmade. And then I have a handmade bath and body system course that teaches you how to make homemade soap at home with video lessons and all of my favorite recipes, how to make your own candle, beeswax candles at home, how to do herbal oils and herbal salves and balms and all of that. But palm oil helps create a good lather and it's long lasting and helps to create a harder bar. So that's why you'll see a lot of soap recipes use a combination of different oils. And sometimes people are like, well, why don't I need to have all these different oils? It's because they bring something property-wise, different to the final product. Now, those are the main oils that I usually use for soap making. The jojoba oil, I keep jojoba oil on hand because that's what I use for my face moisturizer and my eye makeup remover. Jojoba oil is the closest oil that you will find as far as matching the same pH level of your skin. So especially on our face, we want, you know, our face is delicate, especially the skin around the eyes, etc. So I use straight jojoba oil as my eye makeup remover. So it helps to remove my eye makeup as well as provide some moisture around that delicate, thinner eye skin, which is great. And then I also will use jojoba oil as a carrier oil for some of my essential oils if I'm using those. And then you can use jojoba oil when you're making up different balms and or creams or salves, etc. that you're wanting to use on the face and or the neck or the, was it decollete? Probably said that wrong area. So anyways, that's what I mainly use the jojoba oil for. I don't use the jojoba oil much for my actual soap making, but I use it for those other properties. So I need to make sure I have it on hand. Okay. So that pretty much covers it for the majority of the oils that I use. But now we need to talk about beeswax. 
beeswax is another item that I use not in my soap, but definitely use beeswax to make my candles. I do a combination of beeswax and lard for making candles. And then I also use beeswax in a lot of the balms, creams, and hard lotion bars. And beeswax is fabulous. I can actually get that locally from our local beekeeper. And it comes in a big bar when it's that way. If you're ordering it online, then if you have the choice and you're ordering it online, pellets is really the easier way to go because it's easier to measure. But if you're trying to only go local, most of your beekeepers are just going to give it to you in this kind of like this big chunk. They'll just weigh it out usually and, and you'll pay for it that way. But it's harder to cut when you're needing to measure it and work it into recipes. It's I will usually take my knife and run it under super hot water and then kind of chisel off the amount I need. I tried grating it and I didn't find that it grated very easily. I felt like grating was not, I didn't like it. I much prefer just to chisel it off with a knife. The grating I found really hard and not very, not very effective. It took forever to measure it outright. So just saying, if you're purchasing it from an online source and they have the option of pelleted or not pelleted, grab it in pellet form. But beeswax does amazing things because it's a humicatent. So it helps to draw moisture into your skin as well as trap the existing moisture that you have in your skin there. It helps to draw the moisture actually down into the skin, which is why it is such a great thing and why I add it to so many of my different moisturizers that I'm making and my staffs. Okay. So then we need to talk about containers. So if you're going to be doing candle making and or soap making, you're going to need some molds for candle making. Um, I like to use and my salve making. I usually end up using mason jars. So I use the usually the four to six ounce size mason jars for salves um, and candles. And then when I'm doing infused herbal oils, pints and or quarts, depending on how much I need to make. So you want to make sure that you've got extra mason jars on hand if you plan on using them for some of these homemade bath and body products because you don't want to be dipping into the supply you need for your food storage. So make sure that you have extra of those. Now for soap making, you can purchase soap molds depending upon the size of recipe that you're making. There's lots of different options and I get, go over those in pretty pretty good detail inside my course of things that you can use that you probably have lying around the house, but you are going to need to line it. So making sure that you have extra things like um, either the waxed uh, butcher paper, freezer paper, butcher paper. We use it a lot when we're, we're packaging meat. So I always think of it as butcher paper, but I think it's actually wax paper. Um, those that works really well to line different things so that your soap doesn't stick to it, etc. So you're just going to want to take a look and make sure that you've got enough of that and or like silicone molds work great. And I love to use those for my soap making because I can just use it over and over and over again. Same thing for candle making. You're going to want to make sure that you have enough wicks on hand to make up several batches. Now, thankfully, when you buy them, you usually get I buy mine in bulk. And so I've got plenty to make many, many batches. But look at your stock to make sure that you do have enough because there's nothing worse than not being able to get supplies or you really need to make this and you discover you don't have it. And then you're having to wait for shipping because as many of us are discovering right now, shipping times aren't what they used to be. Some things are taking a lot longer for us to get. So if you can plan ahead, which is the purpose of all of this, then you'll have everything there when you need it. The other thing, and these aren't really food items, 
but that's going to be your herbs. So some of the herbs that I use definitely are food items and culinary, but the majority of them like lavender, I don't eat lavender. You can eat lavender. It's totally edible. I don't like the taste of lavender. So I don't put lavender in my, my foods though. You could. So for those of you who love it, you just rock on with your bad self. I love lavender, but I don't like the taste. But you need to make sure that you have got these herbs one way or the other. So hopefully you're growing them. The top herbs that I use when it comes to my infused oils and topical items and or soap is lavender, peppermint, and calendula. Those are the ones that I use the most. And then arnica would probably come in there next. Now, Arnica is not an edible one. It's only for topical use, just throwing that out there. But the great thing is, if you're listening to this when it releases or very soon from that release date, you have plenty of time to grow these herbs right now so you don't have to purchase them in dried format from anywhere. Now, mint likes to spread (laughs) a lot. So I highly recommend growing mint, which you can start from seed, but growing mint in a container so that it doesn't take over your garden. Lavender, you can start it from seed. It's harder to do. You need to make sure that you do cold stratification. Um, So I would recommend for growing lavender, especially right now to make sure that it has enough time to get going, either do it from a cutting or get a live plant. And then calendula is excellent to grow from seed. It is so easy to grow from seed. You don't need to do anything special. It's decently cold hardy. So you can, it'll start coming up right now, even though we're still getting freezes, the seeds that just fell from last year's plants. And it will go through quite a few frosts even in the fall. So calendula is fabulous. It is also edible. Calendula is fun. Because if you're growing the orange kind, it will, it's used as dyes, edible too, but it can be used for food dyes. And so when you get into soap making, it's really, really fun to use. I only use natural colorants and natural scents in my soap making and self making, etc. But it's really fun because you can start to play with some different natural things and make different colored bars. So if you need some creativity coming out or you, it's kind of addicting, so I'm just warning you, but doing the swirled bars and the layered bars with some of the different colors, uh, calendula will give you a kind of an orangey color. And so you can have a lot of, a lot of fun with it. Anyways, um, I kind of got off on a side note there. Can you tell I got excited and, and I'm, and I'm ready to make soap here pretty soon. I need to make some more soap. So anyways, um, those would be the top herbs that I would recommend growing. They, like I said, they're easy to grow. You can grow them in almost any climate. It's not too late to get them in and you'll still get a harvest from them at the mid to end of summer. And then you will have those herbs on hand from your own yard to use and make up all of these items. Now, if you can't grow them or you're not going to grow them or you know you're not, then I would recommend you want to get them dried, purchase them dried is what I meant to say, (laughs) and get that order in so that you've got them on hand and start your herbal oils. Now, I prefer to start my herbal oils if I've already got the dried item on hand. The longer something sits on the shelf, right, it starts to lose potency. So if you've got the dried herbs, get it going in your infused oils. I have got videos actually on how to make free videos on how to make herbal infused oils. So if you've never done that before and it's something that you want to learn how to do, go to the show notes, mostcanoris.com forward slash 254. And you'll see the links there, resources, uh, and you can go and watch those videos and learn how to do that. But I would get those infusing now, and then you'll strain out, which you'll see how long to, to let them infuse, et cetera, in the, in the video, depending upon the process that you're using. Um, and then you can strain them out, and then you've got those herbal oils with those properties in them ready to go when you're ready to make your different recipes. 
Um, I also do have up on the website one of my favorite um, overall uh, wound aiding to heal. It's always so weird because you have to be careful with statements that you make in this day and age. <laughs> but it's what I use um, when we have wounds uh, to help it heal faster. So there we go. <laughs> but I've got that recipe as well up on <laughs> the website. So you can go and snag that one if you want to check it out too. But the other item that I want to talk about here that you may want to make sure you have on hand because um, people don't realize a lot of times if they've never done herbal oils before, the majority of your herbal oils are not really going to take on the scent profile. So my peppermint oil and my lavender oil doesn't really smell super duper strong of that oil. So when I use my lavender infused oil, it has all the wonderful herbal properties of the lavender in the oil, which is the reason I'm infusing it. But when I make it into the final recipe, it's not going to make it smell overly scented of that herb, usually very little if at all, to be honest. So if you want to have that scent, then we look at essential oils. Now, I don't sell essential oils. I use plant therapy. I, if you've followed me for any other amount of time, you probably have heard, <laughs> have heard that episode or watched that video on why I stopped using essential oils and then how I got back into using them in a way that I felt confident and safe prior to a lot of advice that you see floating around online for essential oil use. I only use essential oils topically and I make sure that I follow a very safe dilution rate when it comes to my soaps and my salves and my balms and my lotion bars. So I do the calculation to make sure that it falls into what is considered by third party testing and advice, etc., to be safe for using on the skin. The company that I use, I will have a link in the show notes. You can go to melissacanorris.com forward slash oils and check that out. But they are certified aromatherapists for their help desk, which I think is amazing. But the other reason that I really like them is they had a kid safe seal on them because not all essential oils, even topically wise, are safe to use with children. So I know at a glance about how if I don't have it memorized on that specific essential oil, if it doesn't have that kid safe seal on the outside, then I know that's one that's fine for me to use, but it's not fine for me to make in the product that the kids are going to be using. And the other thing is, um, which I also have done the research on and make sure is some oils are considered hot oils and they're not oils you're going to want to be using in your soap, especially when you're using it to wash delicate areas of thy body. We'll let your imagination go the rest of the way there. So any of my soap recipes have been done to make sure they're not going to use a hot oil that would be unpleasant on any type of that sort of skin. Okay, so that's what I like to make sure when it comes to those non-food items that I have on hand to make sure that everything is running smoothly when it comes to our outside equipment or, you know, as best as you can. Sometimes there's things that break down that you just would not know that you needed to have a part to replace on. But those are kind of your, your typical things. You know, you're going to need fuel to let them run and or oil, etc. And then in the house, because it is still important for us to keep clean, be able to wash and to, to clean things. And honestly, if you haven't made those items homemade before, I think you're going to fall in love with it. I know I have. I like them better. I feel they work actually better for my skin and my body. And it's really fun to know that you can create those items and you get to create them yourself 
And then my daughter likes to help make the lotion bars. That's something that we make. We always have on hand and often give away as gifts when it gets closer to the holidays. So these are projects, a lot of them, that you can incorporate with the kids. They can be part of your homeschooling project or just something that you can do, um, you know, if if there's boredom. Usually if you live on a homestead that has a garden and or livestock, your kids know, don't don't say you're bored because mom or dad is going to say, oh, have I got some chores for you to do. So my kids have kind of learned never to say that they're bored. <laughs> Anyway, I hope that you have enjoyed this episode of the podcast. Thank you so much for listening to it with me. And oh, I almost forgot our verse of the week. So our verse of the week is from Mark 4. And that is verses 23 and 24 from the Amplified Translation of the Bible. If any man has ears to hear, let him be listening and let him perceive and comprehend. And he said to them, Be careful what you are hearing. The measure of thought and study you give to the truth you hear will be the measure of virtue and knowledge that comes back to you. And more besides will be given to you who hear. One of the reasons that I wanted to share this verse with you and that I particularly like it, especially during these times, is it can be really easy with all of the media that we're exposed to. This is a form of media too, but especially if you have the television on and you have commercials and or even the news anymore, you will hear and see a lot of things that feels like it's done for the reason of causing anxiety or to get people to click or sensationalism or to get ratings up, et cetera. I'm sure you've experienced that if you've had the television on and even sometimes in in feeds when you're on social media within the algorithms, depending on some of the different social platforms you might be on, it feels like it's kind of filled with that stuff. And so I say be careful because I think we should definitely be informed. We need to know what's going on, but it can be really easy to tip on the opposite side of that and begin to consume that and to feed into it. And then it heightens our anxiety and it heightens our worry. And so just be careful of what you're allowing to fill your mind and to what you're studying and to what you're pondering on. And just use that filter and know that it's totally okay to step away from that, to shut it down, to not look at it, and to fill your mind and yourself with things that can help you and your family and can keep you uplifted and focusing on the good things and the things that you can do that are, like I said, that are going to help you. Because when we focus on those things, it really does help alleviate a lot of that anxiety and or stress that we may be feeling because of current situations. So I feel like this is really good advice. And it's advice that I that I try to follow myself during all times, but especially during times of like what we're going through right now. So anyways, thank you so much for joining me. I truly appreciate that you spend your time with me. And I can't wait to share with you the episode coming up very soon. I'll be recording it. We're getting our meat chickens. Actually, they are coming next week. So I plan on doing some videos as well for the YouTube channel and on social media. So I look forward to getting to share that with you there as well as in some podcast episodes. So if there are topics, if there are topics, my friend, that you want to see covered here on the podcast that I haven't done yet, please do shoot me an email, melissa at melissakinoris.com or hit me up in my messages because I would love to hear that. Or if there's an episode that has especially helped you 
or you really resonated with, I'd love to know that too. It's really fun to get to have conversations with you guys, other than me just getting to talk with you this side, which feels a little one-sided at times. So I love it when you reach out. Thank you so much. And I love reading your ratings. So if you're listening to this, hit subscribe, whatever app you're on, so you don't miss any of the episodes and leave me a rating so I can read that and see what's helping you guys. Okay. We'll talk soon. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.